Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. For the past few years, the economy has been very, very good. And a lot of salespeople have found it to be an excellent selling environment. But we're about to see that change. And as that changes, the excellent selling environment is going to become a difficult selling environment. And people need to be preparing themselves now for that difficult environment that's ahead. And the best way to prepare is through the best prospecting method there is, and that's referrals. Because historically, those top producers that generate the majority of their business through referrals find a difficult selling environment to be not much of a pain at all. Whereas the rest of us, who are still having to rely on direct mail or advertising or cold calling, find a difficult selling environment not only to be difficult, but for many of us, it simply puts us out of business. Hi, it's Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Get ready because I have an 80-minute intensive interview with one of the best experts I know on the subject of referral marketing. The greatest marketing blunder of all time occurs when you ignore the power of referrals. Now, everyone knows one of the most effective ways to grow any business is through referrals, yet when I ask most business owners what they do to generate a steady stream of referrals, they're hard-pressed to give me any answer at all. Referral marketing is the most powerful, cost-effective, and targeted marketing you could ever do. Now you're going to learn that it's easier than you think to create a flood of referrals for your business or service. The single most important factor that you must have is a system for getting referrals. If you're not receiving referrals from every one of your clients, then I want you to listen to Paul, my referral expert. In this 80-minute intensive interview, you're going to learn how to create a flood of new business. You're going to learn how to create new business without spending one dime on advertising. This mini-seminar is an insider shortcut to referral marketing that will supercharge your business, your wealth, and your life, and even if you don't know much about marketing. What are we waiting for? Let's get going and start learning how to get a flood of referrals. If you'd like to power up your business by harnessing the power of referrals, go to www.referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. That's referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. So we've got consultants all over the world, and I want to give them the best advice I can on how to build a referral-based consulting practice because you know being in sales training with the turnover and what's the real pain for salespeople, and one big pain is going out there doing cold prospecting. 
And certainly it's the dream of every consultant to just sit at their desk and have their phone ring and people calling them saying, hey, I was referred to you. You're an expert at marketing and consulting, and that's why I'm calling. So hopefully you'll be able to shed some light on this whole referral-type business and some of the advantages and maybe why a consultant would want to steer his consulting practice that way and some tips on how to do that. You've seen over the course of your career a lot of regulation on direct marketing and tactics for acquiring new business? Particularly in the financial services industry, everything has to go through the compliance department. And compliance departments are getting tougher and tougher and tougher to deal with. One of my client companies is UBS, and they're really beginning to drive me nuts because in some parts of the country, they've instituted new policies that when they hire a new financial advisor, that financial advisor is only allowed to prospect one way, and that is through cold calling. And they're only allowed to cold call at their office desk because it has to go through a particular system where the system verifies that the phone number they're calling is on the do not call list. They won't allow them to write articles or to give speeches or to send direct mail or do anything else for fear that they're going to cross the compliance line. They're scared of the compliance laws, and more and more companies are going in that direction making it very difficult for their salespeople to sell. So they're basically coming down to, in UBS's instance, either cold calling or networking. That's basically their choices. They have no other choice. The biggest problem that people in the financial services, real estate, mortgage industries, etc., are facing is what used to be considered very sophisticated, complex financial decisions needing expert guidance and advice are now becoming nothing but commodities. With all of the canned advice that people are getting from newspapers and magazines and books and TV shows, many people no longer feel that they need advice, that they can self-medicate in these areas. There are financial planning firms out there that the financial plans that they sell are just fill-in-the-blank, do-it-yourself canned stuff, so they're getting canned advice. All of this that used to be expert-based is now becoming just a commodity. The salespeople are no different than the associate at Walmart. They may as well have a vest on that says, how can I help you? Because all they're doing is filling out the paperwork. But fortunately, there is still a significant group of people out that realize these are important financial decisions and they need expert advice. The problem is, if you approach them in a non-expert manner, then for them, you're not an expert because clients perceive that experts get their clients through expert sources, such as referrals, such as the publicity that an expert would get through the newspaper or through radio or TV. And if you don't have that perceived image of being an expert, then you're just another one of the crowd, and if they're going to go to just another one of the crowd, they may as well go to the one that's got the cheapest price. So in order to be able to continue selling as an expert-based, advice-based salesperson, whether you're in insurance or securities or financial planning or mortgage now, real estate, you have to have that expert image and reputation. And you get that through both the way that you prospect and the way you market yourself.
Those come through referrals and generating the local publicity of being an expert. We're quickly, very quickly, entering a time when there is going to be a real washout of salespeople in those industries. But those people who can position themselves as experts are going to make more money than they ever dreamed of. Can you talk about some stories of maybe some of the people that you've trained over the years, some success stories that will really hit home the point of how referrals can change the life of a person and the life of a business? You bet. We can start off with a management consultant. gentleman's name is Andrew Jackson. He is out of Birmingham, Alabama, of all places. When I started working with Andrew, he had been in the consulting business for about 13 years. And he works primarily with small businesses and startup entrepreneurs. And his business was pretty average. We've been working together for a little over a year at this point. And when I started working with Andrew, most of his business came through networking. He did a lot of direct mail and some targeted advertising. He spent a great deal of money in his direct mail campaign a pretty inefficient campaign that he was working, although it did bring in an income. His income at that point was about 70000 a year after expenses. And like I said, we've been working together a little over a year. He has taken the referral process and very diligently implemented that. At this point, a year later, he no longer does any direct mail. That alone is saving him about 3500 to $4,000 a month. He has doubled his billing. So when we figure at the end of this year, with his savings from no longer doing direct mail, plus his added income, he is going to almost triple his income in a year. Wow. I assume you're coaching him? Yes, he is coaching Excited was he? Oh, he is thrilled to death. Now, quite honestly, when we started working together, he was somewhat skeptical. He, like most salespeople, had tried to generate referrals in the past. He had used the method that almost everybody uses, the do a good job and ask for referrals. And like most every other salesperson, he found it didn't work very well. So when we got together, he was fairly skeptical that it was actually going to work. And it took probably 60 days to actually get him comfortable with the concept that he can generate a large number of high-quality referrals and at the same time, not come across as though he's begging or he's desperate for business. Once he got the concept and really began to implement it, within 60 days, his income was dramatically increasing. Within six months, he was beginning to drop the direct mail campaign. A year later, there is no direct mail campaign. Almost 60% of his business is based on referrals. He is bound and determined and is probably going to do it by this time next year he will be 100% referral-based. What have you seen that do for his confidence? Like I said, he had problems with the idea that referrals would even work. Like many salespeople, he thought asking for referrals was going to come across to his clients as begging or that he was needy. He was not confident that there was anything out there for him to use as his prospecting tool other than spending a lot of money on advertising and a lot of money on direct mail. He was very reluctant to pick up the phone and call someone. He wanted to sit and wait for people to call him. 
so consequently, any other form of prospecting, you know, cold calling or walking into an office and introducing yourself, that was all out. So he was literally down to whatever he could generate from direct mail or from advertising. And he had a reasonable income, not a great income. When he began to see what this can do for him, his whole attitude has changed. He is anxious to get out and talk to people because, first off, he knows the process works, and secondly, he understands that if you sit and wait, you're not going to make any serious money, and he wants to make some serious income, and he's on his way to doing that. This year, he's going to make about $200,000. Now, about 45000 of that is going to be savings from his direct mail campaign, but he's going to put $200,000 in his pocket as opposed to about 70000 last year. His confidence is really beginning to soar to the point that his stated objective for 2008 is to double his income again. It's going to be tough, but he can probably do it if he really puts his mind to it. Let's do another case study. Tell me about another maybe student of yours, or it doesn't even have to be a student of yours, what referrals have done for them and their business. Give you another one, a salesperson who's new in sales. This is a lady by the name of Lori Webb. She sells reproductive equipment out of Austin, Texas. What is reproductive equipment? What was she selling? Copiers. Uh, oh, copiers. And copiers. When I started working with her, she is also a coaching client. She had been in her sales position for less than a year, and it was her first sales position right out of college. So she was very green, knew very little about sales, and she was struggling. She was just barely making it. Now, we've been working together for only four months. This has been a very short period of time. Before we got together, she generated prospects through cold calling and walking door to door and networking. And she managed to generate enough sales just to keep from getting fired. Her company generated some sales leads. Unfortunately, she got very few simply because in her office, the way they divvied up the sales leads were the top producers got the most, and then it trickled down to the bottom. And as the bottom of the sales chain in her office, she basically got the dregs, what everybody else didn't want. So her sales leads from her company were pretty much worthless. She was basically on her own, cold calling and networking. And unfortunately, her networking very inefficient. She went to the usual places, the Chamber of Commerce, etc., and had the same basic results as other people attending the Chamber of Commerce and those types of meetings, pretty much nothing. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's Hard to find sonars.com. We have been working together for four months, working on two things. One, referrals, 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 and then the second is on an efficient, effective, proven way to network to bring in additional business. Last month, for the first time, her sales put her in the top 20% of her company. This month, it looks like she's going to be in the top 20% again. She has gone from being the very bottom person in her office to being number three in her office. She is thoroughly excited. Virtually all of her business now, all of her sales, are coming from past clients. Can we talk a little bit about what did you tell her to do and what did she do to make this happen? Basically, when it comes to networking, my thoughts are you don't want to go to the Chamber of Commerce or the typical places. You go to a Chamber of Commerce meeting 
and probably half the people are your direct competitors, and the other half are salespeople looking also for contacts. So I had her change her whole networking thought process. I had her join as an ancillary member the local architects association, and then I also had her join the local printers association because those are her prospects. You know, why spend time networking at a chamber of commerce where you might sell a cheap copier once a year when you can join the associations that are all about your prospects? So architects, because they need copies of their plans. They need high-end reproduction, as do printers. They don't need just one or two here and there. A large architectural firm is going to have numerous high-end reproduction pieces of equipment, as is a printer. Now, unfortunately, she doesn't get to sell them for the exact same price that she would the local real estate office who needs one copier, but she sells higher-end equipment, and she sells more of it, and she makes more money. Then when I had her go, instead of everybody wants to go with this idea that they're going to walk out with a pocket full of business parts, which just isn't realistic. When I had her attend the meetings, she had basically two rules to follow. The first rule was that she didn't talk about herself or what she did. She spent all of her time talking about that person she met and what they do because she wanted to get as much information as possible about that person. What she was doing when she was talking to them, she was interviewing them. She was qualifying them. And if she determined that this was actually a prospect, then she would invite them to lunch or to coffee or to whatever. Most everyone would accept. At that coffee meeting, she slowly began to talk about herself, her company, her products. The conversation was directed at them. The invitation was directed at them in the sense of, very interested in what you do. I'd like to learn more. But we're running out of time, so let's set up coffee or lunch or whatever. During that meeting, like I said, very slowly she would begin to introduce herself, her products. But what she's really doing is just establishing a relationship. Towards the end of that lunch or coffee, as I said, she would begin to slowly talk about what she did and what she does. And she would ask if it would be permissible just to drop off some literature. Again, virtually everybody says, sure. Well, she's not going to just drop it off. She will say, great, let me come by 10.30 on Friday morning just to say hi and drop this off. And she does that. But when she drops it off, she realizes that she actually forgot to bring one important thing, so she sets up another quick appointment for early the next week. So in the course of a week and a half, she's had the opportunity to meet with this person four times. Is that important in the strategy? It's important in the strategy because generally it takes seven to eight meetings before somebody begins to think of you as a friend. And what she's trying to do is rush the process. So if she can get those four in within a week and a half and then within a couple of weeks call back to specifically ask for an appointment this time, you know, within three weeks to four weeks, she can have had five meetings with this person, which puts her probably pretty close to the next association meeting. So within two months, she can have her seven to eight meetings. And by that time, that person is beginning to think of her not as a new acquaintance, but as a friend. And people like to buy from friends. Right. 
So she can very quickly expedite that whole process. And it appears as though it's just coincidental and accidental. But in actuality, it's a well-thought-out plan of how to expedite the meetings without appearing to be pushy or salesy. When she forgets to bring something back and she comes back on that next meeting, is it just strictly to bring the thing that she forgot, drop it off, and take off? Yeah. What she wants to do is take that casual, hello, gosh, good to see you again, here it is, and try to stretch that out into a longer conversation. Sometimes she can, sometimes she can't. The important part of that is getting the name and the face etched again in that prospect's mind and getting them to begin to think in terms of this is a person that I just met to, ah, it's Lori. Okay, so then the next meeting comes up. What do you instruct her to do at that next meeting with that person? The next meeting would actually be fairly close to a real presentation. She would follow up on the information that she dropped off. And at that meeting, many times when you take the information by their office the first time, because you told them all you wanted to do was drop off some information, say, hi, how you doing? Many times they'll meet you in the reception area. That second meeting where you forgot to bring something and you drop it off, again, many times they'll meet you in the reception area. That third meeting is when you actually get to go into their office. In that third meeting, you basically have three things that you need to do. One is begin to make your presentation. It's not a hard sell. It is pretty much just an introduction of, you know, this is what I do. This is what we do. By that time, if you've carried the conversation well, you know a lot about that person's business, and you know a lot about their needs. Because that first conversation during the association meeting when you met them was virtually 99% about them and their business. The second meeting at coffee or lunch was about 85% about them. So by this time, you ought to know their business fairly well, and you should have some concept of how you might be able to help them. During the third and fourth meetings where you just drop stuff off, if you have the opportunity, of course, you try to learn as much as you can. When you get into their office, you can learn a lot about them. You get the opportunity to give them a brief introduction to your company and your products, but you get to look around their office. And by looking around their office, you can learn a whole lot more about this particular person as an individual because typically they're going to have a lot of signs in their office that you can pick up on about who they are as an individual. They're going to have plaques. They're going to have pictures. They're going to have books. They're going to have all kinds of things that should be able to give you a lot of information about who this person is and what makes them tick. So you're on a reconnaissance mission at this point. But the whole plan is to, it'd be nice to sell this person, but the real value is to get this person to refer you to their network. That's part of it. That's part of the reason that you're looking around to see. I mean the whole strategy for Lori. The whole strategy is to sell them and to get referrals from them. Okay. They are used to people coming on very strong. Hey, I sell copiers, what do you want? versus someone coming in and getting to know them. But typically, to develop a business friendship takes a fair amount of time. All this is trying to do is accelerate the whole process without coming across as being strictly salesy. It can develop a friendship much more quickly and gives you a ton of ammunition because you learn immense amounts of information about their companies. So when you do sit down and give them a product presentation, you can zero in on their needs. 
and it seems like you are an answer to their prayers because you really understand their business and you really understand what it is they need. And the reason you understand it is because they told you. Right. They just didn't come out and directly tell you. You just found out through normal conversation. If you'd like to power up your business by harnessing the power of referrals, go to www.referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. That's referralmarketingtipsandsecrets.com. Was Andrew Jackson using the same method with building the personal relationships and the meetings and such? Yeah. Most everyone that I work with that does network tends to network in a very inefficient manner. They tend to go to places where they're not going to be able to really generate a lot of business. For instance... You know, lots of realtors and insurance agents and financial planners and, you know, lots of these folks all go to the Chamber of Commerce. And basically, if the Chamber of Commerce in those networking events would just bring in a sales trainer, it could be a sales training event because they're all salespeople looking for other people to sell to. Right. So instead of spending two hours, three hours, at a Chamber of Commerce event, it would make more sense to spend the same amount of time with an association that really has a lot of your particular prospects. Did Andrew sign up with associations for management consulting that we're related to? Yeah, he joined two associations. One was a manufacturer's association because he deals with small manufacturers. And the other was a trucking association because he deals with a lot of small trucking companies. And both of those have worked out well for him. He's not going to run across a lot of small manufacturers or a lot of small trucking companies at the chamber. But that's where he was spending his time because that's where most people, when you think of networking, you think of either a networking group like BMI or you think of the Chamber of Commerce. Everything has got associations. Everything has their own little organization. And people don't think in those terms which is actually to your benefit because when you go to the Chamber of Commerce and you're an insurance agent, you've got 17 other insurance agents roaming the halls. But if you're an insurance agent and your specialty is commercial insurance and you join the Commercial Building Management Association and you go to their association meetings, you may only have one or two other competitors there. And I would much rather be with a whole bunch of prospects with little or no competition than being someplace where there are very few prospects and all kinds of competition. Let's go into another story. Can you come up with another case study like this and we can expound on that? Sure. This is a lady, Tracy Granger. She is an attorney out of Miami. She has a general practice, has been practicing for about seven years, and it's a decent practice. It's not earth-shattering, but it's decent. And she basically found her clients pretty much the same way that Jackson did. She did a lot of advertising. She did fair amounts of networking. And she got the occasional referral from another attorney who couldn't handle a particular situation. Like Jackson, she was very reluctant to ask for referrals. She thought that asking for referrals was, one, rude, and secondly, would come across that she was begging for business. She also felt that in order to get referrals, she was going to have to basically bribe a client to give her referrals. So she was very skeptical. But she had been referred to me by another attorney, and she called. I convinced her that it was worth looking seriously at, if nothing else. We've been working together for about seven months now. Her goal is to find a way to eliminate her advertising. Her advertising budget is about $3,500 a month, and she would like to find a way to eliminate that expense. We have gotten her over her reluctance to ask for referrals. 
that took a little bit longer than it took with Jackson. It took almost four months to get her to the point where she was actually comfortable talking to her clients about referrals. But since then, over the last three months, well, this month, she's going to increase her billing hours by about 40%. She has finally sold on the power of referrals, and she has also finally sold on the idea that as a professional, and this is true for any professional, whether you're a salesperson or an attorney or a physician or anything else, first off, clients want to work with experts. And clients assume experts are not out there cold calling or beating doors down or sticking their business cards under windshield wipers or anything else. They assume that experts, true experts, are generating their business through referrals. So when you ask for a referral, that is not something that a client would think, gosh, this guy's begging, or gee, she's begging again, she's needy. That's not what they say. They think that that's what you do when you're an expert. Clients send you customers, not you go out and beg for customers. So she's finally realized that the referral process is the professional process. It's not begging. Did Tracy join associations? She has joined a mother's group, a strange one, but she does divorces. And she is, like I said, in Miami, and there is apparently an organization down there that's pretty big for mothers of young children and pretty active. And she's joined that. She also has young kids, so it works out for her to join that organization. But it also puts her in contact with a lot, unfortunately, of potential clients. So what's your story? How did you get into all this, and how did it all steer to this referral business? Was this something you developed out of a struggling sales career or a necessity? Basically, I've been in the sales industry for about 28 years, either as sales or sales management or sales training. Somehow or another, I've been in sales for 28 years. When I entered the business, I was told, like every other salesperson, that referrals were the lifeblood of success. If you wanted to be successful, you had to get referrals. And the training I received was the exact same training that most every salesperson gets. Do a good job and ask for referrals. And I did that. And I had the same results that most every salesperson has. It doesn't work very well. But I was in the financial services industry, and a few years later, I was taught a different strategy, what is now the traditional financial services industry strategy of, I get paid two ways, commissions and referrals. I found that didn't work very well either. But over the years, I kept hearing that referrals were the panacea. And I looked around, and I saw that very, very few salespeople generated enough referrals to make a hill of beans difference in their business. But there were a few, not very many, but a few who really seemed to be able to run their business off of referrals, and they all seemed to be top producers. So a few years ago, I decided I was going to talk to three or four of these guys and just see how they did it. Were these real stars in their industry? Yeah, let me tell you the criteria I came up with to decide who I was going to talk to. I figured if I was going to talk to three or four of them, I may as well talk to the real superstars. So I came up with three what I thought were going to be fairly difficult criteria to match. The first, if they were going to be a top producer, they had to make a million dollars a year or more in their sales business. And since my real emphasis was how do you get the great number of referrals, they had to generate at least 50% of their business from referrals. And then the last criteria, since I was in the financial services industry, 
they had to come from a relationship-driven industry. And I actually thought it was going to be hard to find these people. And then I found out it wasn't hard at all. How did you find them? The first thing I did was I looked for a realtor. Yeah, I looked for the biggest name realtor I could find. And from them, I got referred to several others. They also referred me to the mortgage loan officer. From there, it was just kind of, well, yeah, I know about this guy over in Maryland. And I know about this guy up in Ottawa. So I ended up interviewing 47 of them. They came from all different kinds of industries. A lot of the myths that we had been taught about salespeople, I found out were absolute myths. You know, some of these people, just as gregarious as you could possibly be. Some of them, virtual wallflowers, as shy as shy could be. So that hell fellow little myth is shot down. Less than 40% of them own their own company, so the idea that you have to own your own company to make a lot of money is gone. Most of them did not start off with any advantages that the rest of us didn't start off with. They didn't start off wealthy. They didn't have a lot of money to put into marketing and advertising. They weren't given a special book of business by their company or anything else. They started off just like all the rest of us did. What I did find they had in common was virtually every one of these people have a tremendous fear of failure. One of the things that really drives them is every day they have to prove to themselves that it wasn't a fluke, that they can do it again. That was a real surprise to me. You would think after making seven figures for several years in a row, you would be pretty well convinced that you're pretty good at your job. But the recurring theme with these people is there's always that fear of failure which pushes them. But when it comes to referrals, all of them started off with that traditional method of generating referrals of do a good job and ask for referrals. All of them found it didn't work. So independently, these people began to generate a process that does work, and all of them have certain things in common. Now, what I've done is taken pretty much the best practices of these people and put into a process. For instance, they recognize there are serious, serious problems with that traditional method of trying to generate referrals. The first problem is when you wait until after the sale has been completed, literally as some people are walking out the door to ask for referrals, you're basically ambushing your client. You're taking them by surprise and you're confronting them with an unwelcome and a very uncomfortable request. Most clients don't want to be rude. They don't want to say no. But at the same time, you're asking for something that they are totally unprepared to do. So you put them in a quandary. It makes them very uncomfortable. The reason a lot of salespeople refuse to ask for referrals is because intuitively they understand that they're putting their client in an uncomfortable position, which makes them uncomfortable. So they don't want to do it. So these guys understood that. They also understood that by waiting until that last second to ask for referrals, you're asking your client to go through their mental file cabinet in 10 or 15 seconds and are expecting them to come up with good referrals for you, and that's just not realistic. And then on top of that, you haven't even defined what a referral is. Now, we all know what a good referral for ourselves are, and we assume that our client understands that. When we ask for that referral, we're standing there thinking, give me somebody just like you. You're listening to an interview on Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. 
Well, unfortunately, what the client's thinking is, what in the world does this person want, and how do I get rid of them? They don't know what you want unless you define it for them, and that traditional method doesn't define it for them. And then it doesn't give them a reason to give you referrals. Clients, as human beings, tend to do things because they perceive those things to be in their own best interest. They don't give referrals because they like you or they respect you or even because they think you did a good job. Clients give referrals because they perceive giving you referrals is in their own best interest. And that traditional method doesn't give them a reason. And then finally, it doesn't give them a way to determine whether or not you've earned the referrals. Most clients assume that whomever they refer you to is going to be more critical and more demanding than they themselves have been. And in order to give you referrals, they have to have the assurance that you're not going to embarrass them in front of acquaintances or family or coworkers. And if they're not prepared for your request, if it comes out of the clear blue, if they've not had an objective way to determine whether or not you've earned the referrals, when you ask, even if they think that you've done a good job, they begin to go back over the sales process again, and they get more skeptical. They think, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that time when he didn't call when he said he would. And I remember this. I remember that. And whomever I refer them to, they won't accept that. So you have to give them an objective way to determine whether or not you've earned the referrals. That traditional method doesn't do any of these things. So these guys independently develop their systems to eliminate those issues. The first thing, all of them, virtually to a man and woman. Let their prospect, whether that prospect comes from a referral or a cold call, all of them let their prospect know within 15 or 20 seconds of beginning the conversation that they're referral-based. They bring up the idea of referrals right off the bat, and it becomes a consistent theme throughout the whole sales process. And what they'll do, if it's a referred prospect, it's pretty easy to do because they kind of understand the process. But if it's not a referred prospect, if it's a cold call or somebody just happens to walk into their office, let's take a cold call. They'll say something like, Michael, my name is Paul, and most of my business comes to me from referrals through my clients, but I ran across your name, and it occurred to me that I might be able to help you. And then they go on with their spiel. But within seven or eight seconds, they've got the idea that this cold call is out of the norm for them. They don't do this. Most of their business comes from referrals. For whatever reason, Michael, you're the exception, and I'm calling you. If it's somebody who walks into their office, when they greet them, they'll say something like, well, Michael, I normally only work with clients that have been referred to me, but I've got some time. Let's sit down and see if I might be able to help you. All it is is trying to get two things across to them. I'm referral-based. And I'm going to help you. It's not the way I normally do business, but I'm going to help you. They need to get that in for two reasons. First off, if it's a cold call, you want to differentiate yourself from the other telemarketers out there who are just dialing and smiling. Well, they're claiming that this is truly the exception for them. They had a particular reason to call you. Now, that means you have to do a little bit of research on the people that you're calling because a lot of folks are just going to let that go by, but some of them are going to say, well, yeah, why me? Why did you choose me to call? What was it about me? And you've got to have a reason. But the object is to let them know that this non-referral contact is out of the norm, and that's important because throughout the rest of the process of the sale, they're going to reemphasize to this person that they get their business from referrals. 
And it's hard to proclaim yourself to be a referral-based salesperson if you just cold-called them and didn't let them know that it was out of the norm for you to do that. You can't be two things at once. You're either referral-based or you're not. And if you're referral-based, it doesn't mean you can't cold-call. It doesn't mean you can't network. It doesn't mean you can't do these other things. You just have to have a reasonable explanation as to why you've stepped out of your normal prospecting mode. Once they have established that initial conversation, throughout the rest of the process, while the prospect is still a prospect, they continuously drop referral fees, just little hints. They keep talking about referrals. Now, this is not an in-your-face type of, I need referrals, I expect referrals. It's very subtle. It would be something like, gosh, Michael, traffic is horrible. I was across town meeting with a newly referred client, and I really didn't know if I was going to get here on time. I just barely made it. Or, well, Michael, I've got a meeting next Tuesday at 1030 with a newly referred prospect. Do you think we could get together right afterwards and say 1130? It's just a normal course of a conversation. Prospects aren't stupid. If they continuously hear your business is referral-based, they will put two and two together and figure that eventually you're going to be asking them about referrals. It's not going to come as a surprise. Now, once the prospect has been converted, has gone from prospect to client, then they have a totally different conversation. They have a very direct conversation at that point. And the conversation covers several things. And as I describe it, it may sound like this is a long, drawn-out conversation, and it's really not. It typically would take five, six minutes at the most. The first part of the conversation is getting the client's agreement that they're going to give you referrals, simply after they say, I'm going to buy. And it makes no difference what the product or service is. If it is a consulting contract that's going to take six months to fulfill, you still bring it up as soon as they agree to become a client, just as if you were selling an automobile that's to be delivered in two days. It makes no difference. But once they've converted from prospect to client, you get their agreement that they're going to give you referrals. And that is a very simple statement. Mike, you remember that I have told you that my business is built on referrals. And once we have completed the sale, if I've done my job, as I promised to do, my clients will give me four or five good referrals. Does that make sense to you? Is that reasonable? Sure. And then you just go on. You know, you don't emphasize it. You don't beat it to death. You get their agreement, and then you move on. The next thing is to define what a good referral for you is. Hopefully, a good referral for you is exactly what is sitting in front of you. Because if it is, all you got to do is pair it back to them exactly who they are. If it's a business-to-business sale, then you want a vendor or a distributor or a competitor or anybody else that is very much like them. If it's a consumer sale, then you want a consumer exactly like the person sitting in front of you. Because more than likely, that business does business with other companies about the same size or that consumer knows most of their friends are probably very similar to them. So you just repeat back to them who they are, and you ask them if they understand. Well, of course they understand. So then you move on to the third part. At this point, you've got them to agree that they're going to give referrals. You've got them to agree that they're going to give four or five quality referrals, and now they know what a referral is. So now you explain to them why it is in their best interest to give you a referral. And that is also a very simple statement. My clients give me the referrals simply because, unlike most other salespeople who have to spend 70, 80, even 90% of their time out beating the bushes looking for next month's commission, I spend my time taking care of my clients. And in order to be able to do that, my clients give me the referrals. Does that make sense? 
everybody's going to say, yeah, that makes sense. I would rather have you taking care of my purchase than not. On occasion, somebody's going to say, well, I don't understand. So asking three or four simple questions. Well, have you ever had a purchase where the salesperson didn't return your phone calls? Have you ever had a purchase where something went wrong and the salesperson didn't inform you? Well, of course. Have you ever had an instance where you needed something from somebody and you could never get an answer? Well, the reason those things happen is because those salespeople couldn't take care of you. They had to be looking for their next commission check. That's the reason my clients give me referrals, because I don't do that. I take care of you. You get your phone calls returned on time. I make sure problems don't arise. I make sure if you need something, you get it. Is that worth the referrals? Then you get to the last part. But my, my clients don't just give me referrals. I earn them. And I earn them by giving you the exact purchasing experience that you want. Would you do me a favor and tell me what it is you would expect in the course of this purchase? And they're going to say, huh? Because nobody's ever asked this. They're going to say, I don't know what you mean. Well, Mike, you've heard the expression exceeding the customer's expectations. Everybody is saying that they exceed customer's expectations. Well, yeah, I've heard that. Well, unfortunately, nobody ever exceeds their customer's expectations because nobody ever knows what their customer expects because they never ask. Well, I'm asking because I want to give you the exact experience that you want, not the experience I think you should have. So if you'll just tell me, would you like me to keep you informed every week or every day, every other week? How would you like me to keep you informed about what's going on? And then you just go through four or five questions. Actually, you only have to ask one or two, and most people will start spilling their guts about what it is that they want. What that does is it sets up an objective criteria for them to determine whether or not you've earned the referrals. But more importantly, it lets you know exactly what you have to do to make them happy. And then the third thing it does is if they have any unrealistic expectations, you can nip them in the bud right now rather than allowing them to become real issues later on. Once that conversation is over, you basically just go back to dropping those little seeds, just weaving the idea of referrals into the conversation as the sale progresses. You just don't want them to forget, but you're not going to beat them over the head about it. But at the same time you're doing that, you're paying really, really close attention to these people. You want to learn everything you can about them. You want to know what associations and organizations they belong to, who their past employers were, everything you can find out. Because after the sale has been consummated, you're going to set up a meeting with them just to get referrals. Their promise is you're going to deliver exactly what they wanted, and then they're going to give you referrals. So you got to deliver first. Yeah, you got to deliver first. For more interviews like this, go to hardtofindseminars.com. This is the end of Part 1. Please continue to Part 2. If you'd like more information on some of the services that Paul offers, please call him at 360-525-0203. That's 360-525-0203. Thanks for listening.